My name is Chad Brewer, and I'm obviously not Bryce Hales. Uh, Bryce is not here. Uh, he's on vacation. So I get to step in, and I am the campus minister at the University of California, Irvine, and, and my connection to resurrection is the way, the way uh, resurrection works. It's connected to about 30 other churches in Southern California, and these 30 churches get together, and they do missions together, and so they, they send a missionary to the University of California, Irvine, to reach students, and, and I'm that missionary. And so that's my connection to your church. So officially, I am Resurrection's campus minister at the University of California, Irvine. So it's great to be here with you. We're going to be in Acts chapter 8, verses 9 to 24. And if you're looking for a Bible, there's, there's some that are scattered out. It's page 916 if you're going to use the, the Bible, that's the blue Bible that's on the ground. 916. I don't know if this is true for you when you were um, in school, um, if you went to a public school, but do you remember when you would order books? And so it was like a, almost like a newspaper would come around and you could pick, pick books and then it, you know, it's not like Amazon Prime where you would get it a, a day later, but it's like five or six weeks later, the, the books finally come. It was so exciting as a kid to order the books and the books would come and, and I would always order the same book. The Guinness Book of World Records every year, because I love to see what people were, were doing. And just let me read some of these records to you. Um, distance traveled on one foot, um, 2.17 miles. Uh, bridegroom with the most ushers in the Guinness Book of World Record, 47 ushers. How about the longest escalator ride, 140 miles. The longest solo dance marathon, 100 hours of dancing by yourself. <laughs> this is my favorite, probably. The greatest distance moonwalked, 30.6 miles. Longest duration on one foot, 76 hours. Longest distance with a 10-pound brick, which is a thing in the world record, is 78.7 miles. Longest continual crawl, 35 miles. The longest solo drumming kit marathon, 84 hours. The longest wedding bouquet, 197 feet. Who does these kinds of things, right? What if I told you that all of the records that I just read to you were done by the same person? It's true. Suresh Joachim from Australia broke 19 Guinness Book of World Records so the question is, why? Why would he do such a thing? And what he said was, he used to read, as a kid, the Guinness Book of World Records. And what he wanted to do was to be one of those people that kids and others would read about one day. He wanted glory. We're going to look at this idea of glory in Acts chapter 8 this morning. And we're going to think about our pursuit of glory in this world. Acts chapter 8 Verse 9, there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying this man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. 
But when they believed Philip as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them, that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent. Therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord, that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Let's pray. Lord, would you be with our time this morning and help us to think and to consider about glory, what it is, why we pursue it, why we pursue it, and um, Lord, its significance to you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the pursuit of glory, it, it starts early on. It's the little boy who wants to run around the house and, and says, Daddy, time me. Tell me, am I the fastest in the world? It's the little girl, maybe, who puts on an outfit and says, Mommy or Daddy, am I the prettiest? It, it advances uh, in middle school. We are even more aware of our glory position. It's, it's the band. You try out for the band. You make the band, which is great. But then they give you a seat or a chair, your first chair, which is great. Maybe your fifth chair, maybe your last chair. It's when you're in the cafeteria and you get that, that tray of food and you turn around and maybe there's somebody waiting for you. Maybe there's not. And you know where you stand with people. It's the dreaded picking of teams in gym class. And you know where you are. You were the seventh person picked on your team. So you know what that means for you in relation to others. It's trying out to make a play. And if you get cut, it's traumatic. But if you make it, that's great. But what if you don't get a significant part? Or you get a significant part, but it's not the lead. And the pursuit of glory, it's elusive. And the thing is, that pursuit to make a name for ourselves, it never seems to end in this life. Maybe we're not asking mommy or daddy how fast we are or how we look, but we're constantly checking the bottom line in business or businesses. We're anxious over our job performance reviews. What do people think of me? Do they like me? Am I going to get an advancement? Will I ever get a promotion? We wake up in the morning and we wonder, how many people liked my Facebook post from last night? And why was it fewer from the time before? And we still compare ourselves to everybody, whether it's our neighborhood, whether it's in line at Starbucks, whether it's at the gym, we're constantly checking ourselves where we are in comparison to others. And we long for someone to tell us that we did a good job we're a good husband, that we're a good friend, that we're a good worker. This desire 
for glory, to make a name for ourselves, which seems normal to us, can be dangerous. Psychiatrist Dr. Keith Abelo, who works for the Fox News medical team, now, I'm not saying that I watch Fox News, and I'm not saying that I watch CNN. I'm just quoting this guy. He, he quotes a study from a French psychologist by Jean Twang, who has found that narcissism in the last 30 years has risen by 30% in college students. And this is what he goes on to say. I've been warning about this trend as the single greatest threat to our culture for years. Because a narcissistic people lost in the pursuit of something as vanishing as notoriety, making a name for oneself, is the people who cannot summon real character, nor empathize with one another, nor pursue momentous deeds, nor achieve genuine greatness. So what he's saying is, because in our culture we are pursuing our own individual glory, that keeps us from actually becoming people of real character, and doing things of real significance. In other words, as we pursue our own greatness, the farther we are actually away from true greatness. And here's the thing, the pursuit of glory, when you become a Christian, or if you are a Christian, it doesn't end. Christians struggle with this as well. Even though Christians are convinced that God is great, that God is good, we still get twisted up in this never-ending pursuit for greatness. We want to make a name for ourselves. And this was the same struggle that John the Baptist, even John the Baptist, struggled with. John the Baptist, when he said, Jesus must become greater and I must become less. John, John the Baptist had become a bit of a celebrity at this time. He had his own style, like he wore camel's hair. He had his own fad diet. He ate locusts and honey. He lived exotically in the wilderness. And many people came to listen to John the Baptist speak. They were enamored by his teaching. Some thought that he was a prophet. Others thought that he was Elijah who had come back. Still others thought that he was the Messiah. And even though John the Baptist was there in the Jordan, in the river, when he saw the dove, the Holy Spirit, descend upon Jesus, and he heard the voice of God saying, This is my son, whom I love and am well pleased with, even after all of this, John the Baptist still had to say, Jesus must become greater, and I must become less. It's the struggle that we have, that we want to become great, and we want to become significant, and we want to make a name for ourselves. And this is what Simon the Great, in Acts chapter 8, in our passage, is struggling with. He is wanting to make a name for himself at any cost, and he's even willing to use the gospel, Christianity, to do so. We're going to look at three things this morning. First, we're going to see that the name of God is becoming great. The second thing is that Simon is trying to make his name great. And the third thing is that only God can give us a name that is truly great. Point one, the name of God is becoming great. So the context of Acts chapter 8 is that the gospel, the good news of Jesus, is advancing. And it's doing what seemed impossible. It's doing the improbable. And the improbable is that the Samaritans of all people received the word of God. So verse 12 tells us that Philip preached the good news of the kingdom, and the Samaritans, they believed it. And they were baptized. And this is pretty amazing, considering that we're talking about the Samaritans. Why? Because the Jews hated the Samaritans. Samaritans hated the Jews. Think of the person in your extended family that you could not imagine following Jesus. 
But you could never imagine them becoming a Christian or a follower of God, becoming a person of faith. For the Jews, it was the Samaritans. There had been a thousand years of hostility between the Jews and the Samaritans. Fifth century BC, the Jews are heading back to Jerusalem. They're going to rebuild the temple. So the Samaritans offer to help rebuild the temple. And the Jews say, absolutely not. We do not want your help. Hundred years later, the Samaritans built a rival temple on Mount Gerizim. These Samaritans, they were considered to not be true followers. They, they rejected most all of the books in the Old Testament except for the first five of Moses. In fact, they were so disliked that John, not the Baptist, but John the Apostle, Jesus is going through Samaria in Luke chapter 9. The Samaritans are rejecting Jesus. And so John is so fired up that he says to Jesus, Jesus, can I call down fire from heaven to burn up these nasty Samaritans? And yet, here we see that the Samaritans receive the word of God. I'm going to pause here and say, do not give up on people in your life, in your families, who do not follow Jesus, who do not trust in him. The word of God is powerful. It has its way in people's lives. You must not give up. You must not stop telling them about what Jesus has done for you. The name of God is advancing here. And it's becoming great, even to the Samaritans. And this is exactly what God had promised all the way back in Genesis chapter 12 to Abram. In Genesis chapter 12, God says to Abram, Go from your country, from your kindred, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, so that you might be a blessing to others. So God is saying to Abram, your job, Abram, is to make my name great. I'm sending you out to make my name great. Your calling in life is to live for my significance and my glory. And then he says this, and it will be me and me alone who will make your name great. I will bring you glory. But here was the warning from God to Abram. Do not try and make your name great. In other words, don't live for yourself. Don't live for your own name. Now Genesis chapter 12, I just read from, comes on the heels of Genesis chapter 11, obviously. And in Genesis chapter 11, you had a group of people who came together and they said, let's build a tower all the way up in the heavens. For what reason? So that we might make a name for ourselves. And on the heels of Genesis 11, God is saying to Abram, you will be different. I am sending you out and your job is to make my name great. And then it will be me who will give you a great name as well. So in Acts chapter 8, as the name of God is spreading, just like Abram was told by God, and as the name of God is being spread even to the Samaritans, Luke includes this cautionary tale of a man who was known as Simon the Great. And Simon here in this passage is trying to make a name for himself, to make his name great. In Acts chapter 8, we come to this unique situation where the Samaritans, they hear the gospel, they believe the gospel, they're baptized, but they do not receive the Holy Spirit. Now, this is, not, this is not the typical way that the Holy Spirit would come to believers after the resurrection of Jesus. If you go back to Acts chapter 2, we see the typical pattern. It says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins, and then you will receive the Holy Spirit. Now, in the Trinity, you have the Father and the Son and the Spirit. And it's the Father who plans for salvation. 
the Son, Jesus, who accomplishes salvation, and then the Holy Spirit, who applies the salvation that Jesus accomplishes to the believers' lives. And so the Samaritans, they believe in Jesus, but they don't receive the Holy Spirit. So the question is why? It's not the typical pattern. If we go back to chapter 1, verse 8, it sort of serves as a table of contents for the rest of the book of Acts. And in, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, this is what it says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in Judea, and in Samaria, and all the ends of the earth. And so we see that the gospel is going to advance in stages. First to Jerusalem, stage 1. Stage 2 to Judea, stage 3 to Samaria. And so in Acts chapter 8, we're entering a new stage of redemptive history. The gospel is now going to the Samaritans. And this landmark event that people are witnessing, including Simon the Great. And so the cornerstone apostles, Peter and John, come to Samaria to witness and to inaugurate, inaugurate this event, this new chapter of God's name advancing. And it's here that Simon the Great sees an opportunity to make a name for himself. When Peter and John come to Samaria and they're laying hands on these believers and the Holy Spirit is being poured out on these believers, great things are taking place and Simon the Great wants in on the action. He wanted to use the stage of ministry to make a name for himself. And so Simon says to Peter and John, Give me the power to do what you're doing, and I will pay you for it. And it would be the greatest magic trick of his life. He's desperate for people to notice him. He's, he wants glory. He's hungry for glory. He wants people to think highly of him. He wants people to talk about him. He wants to be noticed, and he's willing to pay to make a name for himself. Of course, Peter reads right through his intentions. This is what Peter says to him. May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right with God. Several months ago, my wife and I, we bought a new printer. We, we were in desperate need of a new printer. And I don't know if you've bought a printer recently, but they are amazing they're super fast now. Um, they are efficient, so they use, they use much less ink than they used to. And you can print double-sided, right? You don't have to just take it out and then flip it over and put it back in. It will do it all for you. And you can print from anything you can imagine you can now print from. And so I put this thing together. And I wanted my wife to admit, to confess to my greatness. I was... Uh, uh, I was able to take our nine-year-old computer and connect it to this new printer. I connected our new computer to it. I connected my wife's phone and my phone. I was so proud of myself. I wanted her to tell me how great I was, but she had other plans. She, instead of congratulating me, she decided to tell me how great she was. That it was, in fact, her idea to buy a new printer. <laughs> that she was the one who picked out the printer. And that, in fact, she went on a Saturday afternoon and risked her life at Costco, picked it out, carried it, and put it in the car, and then made it somehow through the parking lot. Wasn't she the great one in the family? And what's funny is that we both love this printer, but we didn't give a single thought 
to Hewlett Packard. Right? The people who made the printer, the ones who designed it, never even crossed their minds. We wanted the credit. And that's how we are with, with God. We make everything about ourselves. We want the credit for the skills or abilities. We don't want to give thanks for the families that he's put us in. We don't want to give thanks to God for mentors, for teachers, for coaches, for pastors, for, for people who have invested into us. It's all about us. We are focused on our glory and our honor. And C.S. Lewis's story, Prince Caspian, which is from the Chronicles of Narnia series, Aslan is the Christ figure, and he's the lion, and he's talking to the mouse. This is what he says. But what do you want with a tail? asked Aslan. Sir, said the mouse, I can eat and sleep and die for my king without one. But a tail is the glory and honor of a mouse. I've sometimes wondered, friend, said Aslan, whether you do not think too much about your honor. The great irony here is that Simon was trying to make a name for himself by using the gospel when he could have had an even greater name because of the gospel. And point three is only God can give us a name that is truly great. Have you ever heard of a city called Mall Chunk? Two words, Mall Chunk, Pennsylvania. Probably not, because it hasn't been called Malchunk, Pennsylvania, since 1953. Since 1953, the city's been called Jim Thorpe, Pennsylvania, after the same athlete who was known by many as the greatest athlete in America. Uh, Jim Thorpe was the gold medal winner in the 1912 Olympics for the pentathlon, five events. The 1912 Olympic gold medal winner for the decathlon, ten different events. He was a professional baseball player, and he's also a professional football player who is in the Hall of Fame. After Jim Thorpe had died, his widow was offering the name of Jim Thorpe to any town or city who was willing to pay to have a great name. Now, Malchung, Pennsylvania, at one time had been a thriving town, railroad town in northeastern Pennsylvania. And at the turn of the century, it had more millionaires per capita than any other city in the United States. But as the railroad industry started to decline, about 50 years later, so did the prestige and the name of Malchung, Pennsylvania. Desperate to regain its former glory, Malchung, Pennsylvania was willing to pay thousands and thousands of dollars to have a great name, the name of Jim Thorpe. Like the town of Malchunk, Pennsylvania, there's been a loss of glory for us. We are not who we were supposed to be. We're not supposed to deal with sickness and death. We're not supposed to fail. We're not supposed to be crushed. We're not supposed to face rejection from other people. We're not supposed to struggle in the ways that we do. Relationships were supposed to come so much easier and work was supposed to be enjoyable. And we struggle in this world. And there's been a loss of glory. And this longing for significance and approval, we were supposed to have had it already. Adam and Eve, they wanted their own glory. And they had these competing glories. They were pursuing their glory versus the glory of God. And in the end, they chose their own glory. And as the children of Adam and Eve, we too live a life where we are choosing to live for our own glory, for our own good. 
Do you see that you are living for your own glory? Do you feel that you're trying to make a name for yourself? How much are you willing to pay to have a great name? How much are you willing to give up to make a name for yourself? How many hours are you willing to work to make a great name? Are you willing to injure perhaps your marriage to have a great name? Are you willing to weaken your character for a significant name? Do you see how much time you and I spend thinking about ourselves and our names? In the gospel, there is a quenching of our thirst for a great name, for a great and glorious name. There's a new name that we can have that's beautiful and significant. In Revelation chapter 3, Jesus is talking to Christians at the church in Philadelphia. And this is what he says to them. I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. And so the Christian is going to be a pillar in the presence of God. And then he goes on to say, Never shall the Christian go out of it, and I will write on the Christian the name of my God. And I will write on him the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem. And I will write on him my own new name. Jesus is saying to those who trust in him, his death for our sins, his resurrection, those who trust in him, you have a new name. Your first name is the name of God. Your middle name is the name of the new, Jeru- is the name of the new city of God, the new Jerusalem. And your last name is the new name that Jesus will get. That will be your name for eternity. That's a great name, and it's a glorious name. Some 60 years after Malchong bought a new name, very few visitors come to visit the Jim Thorpe Memorial there in the center of town. Fewer and fewer dollars come in each year because of the name of Jim Thorpe. In fact, fewer and fewer people even know who Jim Thorpe ever was. The significance of the name of Jim Thorpe is fading. There's a disappointed and a disenchanted city of Jim Thorpe councilman who crassly said, all we saw were dollar signs and all we got was a dead Indian. But there is a name that is available to all who call Jesus the Lord. Not the name of a dead man, but of a man who has been resurrected, the God-man. The name of one who was and who is and who will be forever. Not just the name of a great athlete, but the name of the one who has given life and legs to every person who has ever lived. The name of one who has not just defeated teams, but who has defeated sin and death. The name of the one who has bought us a new name because of his blood. It's a name that will never fade away. It's a name that is yours if you trust in him, and you can't lose it because it was never yours to gain in the first place. I'll pray. Father, we confess, I confess, Lord, I think about my name a lot. Lord, I want significance. Lord, we want significance. Lord, we want people to think well of us. Lord, we want, we want to stand out. Lord, we, we want to matter. Lord, what that does is that turns us inward or we focus on ourselves. And Lord, we, we hate that. We hate that our eyes are always turned on ourselves. And Lord, thank you that the gospel, that the good news of Jesus is that we don't have to focus on ourselves, that we are significant. 
so significant that you would pay for our sin, that you would die on the cross for us, so significant that you would give us your name, and so that we would know for eternity that we are significant, that we belong to you. Lord, would you help us as we long, Lord, for glory and greatness, Lord, that we might find it in you and not in and of ourselves. Thank you for your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.